0: I came into these rooms in 1984, May 23rd, and I weighed over 335, and today I weigh 223. So that's a miracle. Um, you know, I could say that this has been perfect, but it hasn't, and I'm not one of those. You know, I'm always intrigued with people who say they came from day one, got abstinent, and then straight from the get-go. I am not that person. But the one thing is that this program taught me is that my ability to be honest. And I weight, my weight has fluctuated all the way down to 170 in this program. So, but that's where I am for today and today. I have had relapses, so I thought I'd just give you a little history. Now, for vanity and why I came into these rooms in the first place, you know, I was insane. I mean, and I'll tell you what, how bad I looked when I came in. I hadn't showered probably but once a week. I had a three-month-old baby, so I was breastfeeding, so I'm sure I wasn't. My hair was oily, and the only thing I could fit into was a size 26 blouse and maternity pants that, um, that were pretty darn tight. I mean, they were so stretched out, and I wasn't pregnant. So that's, that's how bad it was. And the pants I have on today, my blouse is a large, and my pants today are 16. For me, that's an accomplishment. Now, in society, I'm not perfect. I'm not what they want. I'm the best I can be for Denise. And, you know, I think that's another thing, too, about our vanity and our issues of acceptance of ourselves. And if anything, the message that I can give you is that tolerance is the most important thing for your existence in this program. And when you think the emphasis that we put on as a nation and the insanity, because we have a cycle that is just frightening, especially here. And you can go into any supermarket, and they will drive you insane. They are giving you so many messages. And I work in the grocery industry as a florist. And I want you to know they have everything that will supposedly fix you, and they have everything that will make you sick. And you will constantly have that message. I mean, we're in a carb, low-carb insanity right now. We go through trends. It's either grapefruit, it's either fasting, or it's some kind of insanity. And you can pick up any magazine that will show you how to lose weight in 30 days and then how to bake that perfect chocolate cake. (laughs) And that was what you'll see in the magazine. And society knows that we're in that maze that we continually run around. And why we come to these meetings is to get clarity on the maze and about ourselves and to learn to love ourselves and to accept ourselves unconditionally no matter what. That we're human beings, we're flawed, that we have character defects, and that's why we come here. Now, why I came to these meetings, look at folks, I was just excited to be able to take a shower. It wasn't looking like CoverGirl. But what happened? And my first meeting, I'll tell you my first meeting, was very unique unto most of you What got to go to a meeting. My first meeting was at the Long Beach Naval Hospital meeting that no longer exists. I walked into a room, and I was probably the only fourth woman in that meeting. Now, if you really want to have a vanity issue, walk into a room of military men and be a compulsive overeater. And you know what? That didn't even faze me. In fact, it scared me. I thought, my God, what is this? I mean, these people, I heard some sailor, the first speaker I ever heard, some crazy sailor get up, say his wife was a bitch, he hated his kids, and that the Navy stuck him in this weight program. And that was my first speaker. And all I can say, you're so grateful to have me today, aren't you? (laughs) you.
1: Cheer up. You don't know how bad it can be out
0: there. That was my first message in this program. And do you know what happened? Somebody followed me outside of that hospital room. It was this big galoot of a sailor. He didn't have any front teeth. And he chased after me out by the elevator. And he, he said, because I wasn't going to do the Lord's Prayer with you. It was bad enough I heard this guy complaining about his wife. You wanted to be a religious cult and I was ready to go to Weight Watchers after this. You know what I mean I headed out that hospital as fast as I could and they had the slowest you know, government facilities have the slowest elevators known to mankind. What happened, is that elevator never came. This guy came barreling out, I mean he blocked out the light of the door he was gross, he had this t-shirt rolled up with the cigarettes in it, and he had these thongs and the hairiest arms away. His thongs were worn out, and he's talking at me, and he goes, you forgot something, lady, you forgot something. And I'm leaning up against the door, and I go, and he comes in closer and closer and closer, and he closes in, and he goes, you forgot the most important thing you get here is your hugs. <laughs> and these hairy arms and this bad deal surrounded me. And all of a sudden, it was a miracle. It was like angel wings embraced me. And he said, you know, you never leave without your hug. And it was no longer an issue of vanity. But let me tell you where vanity came in. I became an accident overnight. I lost like 100 pounds in two minutes. I sponsored a 1,000 people. And I went insane with this program. And I got up here and said... I will never lose my abstinence. Oh, my, was I, what a gal, what a gal, what a, well, let me tell you, that was vanity. I had no humility, and that's where my vanity really came through, because I had never been able to get in a size 16 or even a size 14. And I was buying clothes, and I was flirtatious, and I was out there nuts, insane, and guess what? I lost it. And I had to lose it a couple of times. And I had to lose it a couple more times. And then, I finally figured it out. It's not good looks, folks, that we're here for. It's the fact that we need to live and enjoy life. And that's what we're really about. We're missing life. And you know what? The best beauty treatment you can give yourself, you can go get facials, you can dye your hair 20 different colors, you can change all the outside you want. It's your soul that comes through, and it comes through in your eyes. And when I'm accidents, I'm at my finest. And I look the best I look when I'm on this path of recovery. And nothing can knock me down. Nothing can drive me down. And that's when I look my best. And I can put all the mascara on I want and all the lipstick I want, and your soul still comes through your heart, your face. And our faces are the mirrors. And we wear our recovery. And I'll tell you what, you can see recovery in people's faces and their actions and stuff like that. Now, I'm not telling you that life's not going to get you down. I have a father that's dying of cancer, and this has been going on for two years, and I have watched him almost six times expire. And I think, my God, if I didn't have this program I would be in the refrigerator and just go into town. And it's no longer an issue of vanity. It is an issue of sanity. Because my ability to cope. And I want you to know, I was calling my sponsor outside that hospital Saturday, just a week ago. And I was hysterical. I was crying. And I was yelling to her in the phone, I want the guy dead. And she said, you know, thank God we have this program. Because you sure can not admit it to the general public. So you want your dad to choke. And she said, thank God we have this program where we can be honest with each other. And that's where we go to show how incredibly either we're tired and we're sick of it or we're frustrated and we do our 10th step and we do our 4th step. And this is where this all evolves. And this is where this comes from. You know, so, I mean, to me, the best treatment you can ever give yourself, the best beauty treatment you can ever give yourself, Because I'll tell you what, I got so excited about coming to this party that I started glowing. And I got a girlfriend that I dragged to these things for the last five years. And she says, as soon as you hit the door to me, she says, you light up like a Christmas tree. And I do because I get to see my family. I get to see you. And I get to hug you. And there's people year after year that I see. And I love. And we bonded. And we go through this life. Together, knowing that we have a cause and a disease that we share. And this disease will kill us and define us. And I'll tell you what, when the federal government now says we're a hot topic, you know somebody's paying attention now. And we have the biggest group of senior citizens that are going to ever hit this country. And I'm on the crux. I'm right there, and if I don't start taking care of this weight, and they say obesity is one of the serious things that elderly people can have, they say if you do not cut back on your calorie intake and your caring of yourself, that you will not make it. And more and more people are dying of cancer, and they're contributing obesity, and all the things that we do in our disease, to contribute to cancer, and my mother died of breast cancer and kidney cancer. It went into her kidney, and it took her eight months of a slow death. And my father was obese, a diabetic, bad heart, and he is suffering tremendously because of this disease. We have a choice to get better, and it's not looking good. I mean, we'd love to look good. I mean, who doesn't? I mean, when people see you, oh my God, you look so great, you've lost weight, yada yada yada. yada. You know, we love that, you know, because you feel like a winner, right? Hey, I'm looking good, da-da-da. But it comes down to the core of us. What really is important is our physical ability. I stand on my job 40 hours a week. Hey, I was on a picket line for five months walking a picket line. And I'm telling you, that was 40 hours a week. And physically, I could have never done that job if I had weighed, I weighed 355. I, it never would have happened. I couldn't have made it, and it was tough just doing it now. So I mean, more and more the realization of our lives, and as we get, we change, and our bodies change. So, you know, the benefits we get from recovery are far extending the spiritual, it's far extending our mental, it's far extending it's our future. It really becomes our future and quality of life. And I don't particularly want to be a burden on my nation. I don't want to be a burden on my son. Because I'll tell you what, I have been a caretaker for the last seven years for elderly people. And I do not wish that upon anybody at all. And it was really, really an incredible lesson. And I'm going to tell you what, it's going to get tough for that caretaking. We don't, we don't even value what, what's going to take place? So wisdom tells me, and maybe I had to go through seven years of watching parents who abused their bodies, who drink, who smoke, who overeat, and all of the above go through this for me to get the lesson, and maybe it's the message I'm to carry. I'm not sure because I'm going to become an advocate for health and seniors because again, I'm on the cross and where I'm going to go. And um, I'm already signed up for a lot of senior groups and starting to campaign and legislation for that because I will be the next generation of elders that will come, and I have seen what can take place. I hope you will embrace the miracle of this recovery, and it's not easy. I mean, if anybody ever said this was easy, it's not. Don't kid yourself. This is a dreadful disease. We're getting a lot of mixed messages, quick fixes, diet pills, the whole thing. Don't kid yourself. We have to come back and be consistent. And I've been coming back for 20 years, and I believe in this program with all my heart. I hope you'll embrace it with me, and I hope that I'll see you at convention after convention after convention. And, you know, in my will, in my last testament, I want to be said on my headstone, she died in recovery. And I hope you all are there with me. That we all go to heaven embracing this recovery. You know, I mean, this is the way to go out. That we're going to go in there healthy. You know what I'm saying? We're going to go out of this earth into our spirits. And we're going to be okay. So I know I'm going to see you next year at the convention. And I'm going to see you the following year. And we're going to keep being back here. Because we have given such a gift. And we have to embrace it. And I love all of you. And I want you to thank you for all your contribution and service because you attending here and you being a part of this event is an asset to my recovery. And every time we go to a meeting and just participate, you are getting service to my recovery. And we don't ever forget we're a fellowship. And to united, we can deal with this. And divided, we fall. So I love you, and um, I think I'm done, aren't I? Thanks, Brian. Thank,
2: Thank you so much. That was wonderful. Um, let's see. Next, we are going to have. Where did my lips go here? Next, Betsy is going to speak.
3: Hi, my name is Betsy, I'm a Grateful Recovering Compulsive Over Hi. Hi. Hi so thrilled to be here. I love these conventions too, they're like adrenaline rushes for me. So um, let me qualify by saying I've been in program for 12 and a half years, uh, maintaining a 50 pound weight loss for about 11 and a half years. And I'm going to, um, I brought my pictures, but I just pulled one from, for each side of the room because they'll never get around. I do this primarily for newcomers because when I came in, I didn't come for the sanity. I didn't even know there was sanity to be had. I came for the vanity, and I didn't even know how insane, you know, I was or could be and still can be. And so um, I was thinking about it last night, what I wanted to talk about, um, because, you know, for for me, the whole sanity versus vanity issue is all about step two, and so I – was reading step two over again and again in, in the O.A. and this morning in the A.A. 12 and 12, and I um, decided that I wanted to kind of take a, a real look at what insanity was for me before I came into these rooms. And you know, obviously at that point there was 32 years of insanity, but I, I took what was the immediate stuff at the time and made kind of a list. When I came into program, um, I had recently moved to San Francisco. I live in the Bay Area and. I recently moved to San Francisco for a job, and um, it was a job where I was out of an office, out on my own, in my car, and so I would spend a good portion of the day making my way around the city to get the different foods that I wanted to have that night when I went home. And it was not just my food binge, but for me, my insanity was a pack of cigarettes a day and at least a bottle of wine a day. And I was in the wine industry, so it was, a, it was a great thing because I had it at my disposal, you know. Um, and it was, it was a bad thing because that is an industry where you can be in big denial about um, your addiction. So um, another piece of that was that in the 12 years, what I would call my, my 12 adult years before I came to the program, I had moved from upstate New York to Columbus, Ohio, to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, to Philadelphia, to San Diego, to Chicago, and finally San Francisco, and I think, and I think, I know, that was all in hopes of finding the perfect life, you know, the place where I would be Betsy, but I didn't realize I was Betsy, and I was taking you with me everywhere I went, and there was no escaping that. I also stayed for 12 years in an in a industry, in a profession which you know, wine comes really glamorous, but I was in the end of it that was distribution and sales, so that's really the liquor business. And I was in an industry where I was a manager, and um, we were so highly regarded that management would routinely have special events like Christmas parties at strip clubs, you know, which basically meant that we weren't a part of that, you know, and it was, it was such a disrespectful thing, and I stuck with that for 12 years because I didn't realize how insane that was. You know, I just kept trying to make it fit, make a fit. And um, another, of course, food-related insanity is whole pizzas. Now, I didn't do the things of, like, digging out of the trash can, um, those sorts of things, because I was a high-class food person. So, for example, I would order a pizza, and I would call if it came a little burned, so that they would deliver a second pizza, and I did them both. You
1: know,
3: so it... It was insane—a um, dozen donuts at a time. I would go to this. When I lived in Chicago, I would go to this um, farmer's market where they did homemade donuts, and I would buy a half dozen and, and you know make it last for, for you know make it last for a few days. And they were gone before I got home. Pounds of candy sitting and studying. Um, so one of the things that I I did to to be normal in this world was I was a pretty good student and I got my MBA and I got a career that I thought, you know, was going to take me to the CEO levels of things. And when that didn't happen for me, um, with all that insanity that I put into it, trying to force and control things that weren't going to happen, um, I finally, you know, made it to program. Um, you know, food for me, like many of us, was eating long past the point of misery, where it didn't do any good for me in any way, and I would still eat. You know, it would still be such a huge part of my life every single day. And then the result of all of this was that I was just living a completely fear-driven life. Fear of there not being enough, fear of bombing out in my career, fear of becoming a bad lady. I mean, you name it. And, And to me, now I look back on that, and that is all the result of being a person trying to make things happen in my life. Instead of living my life, hearing what God wants for me, living, you know, with that intuitive place that I feel like I now have because of my spiritual connection with God, but just trying to force things. And, you know, it just doesn't work. At least that's not been my experience. And it was a long process for me to get to that point because when I came into the program, I, I did get abstinent pretty quickly because I was pretty darn desperate. What happened to me at that point was that I had gotten demoted in my job, and my boss hired a friend of his to replace me. And um, since for me, that was the thing that kept me feeling normal, you know, was having this job, um, I just went into utter and total despair. And it brought me to program because I was so desperate. I just really at least wanted to deal with the physical aspects of my life that were out of control. And... So, so I got a sponsor right away, and she was my sponsor for six years. And oh, I just, I, I to this day adore her. We're we're great friends, and um, I just acted as if because I was so desperate. So I did pray, and I did meditate, and I did get down on my knees, and I did things that, you know, formally would not in any way be connected to my real life because, you know, I just was so desperate. I needed to do what she said, and then gradually over time. I started to see things change. You know, even in this act of this phase, things would be different. And then I would feel like I knew a little bit better what to do, and I didn't second-guess myself, and I didn't wish I retracted something I'd said or something I'd done. And I started to feel more like I was in touch with my intuition again, which was, you know, just God speaking to me and through me. and and not ignoring that voice to the extent that I was just trying to make things happen that weren't supposed to happen in my life. And for me, that just utterly meant that I stopped struggling in life. Now, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, I came to the program, everything got great, things are wonderful, because that that hasn't been my story at all, although things are wonderful. But um, in this program, I went through a very, well, continue to off and on go through a very, Deep depression, which lasted for about three years without help. And it was actually in these rooms that someone came up to me, and she happened to be a doctor, and she said, You have to get help. You know, it doesn't matter how hard you work your program, what's going on with you is not going to be fixed by that. And that to me was like permission to do something about my depression because it was so debilitating that um, I didn't know what to do. And it was also Fortunately for me, the time that I felt most connected with God because, again, I was so desperate that the things that were most important to me and all I could do basically to get through the day was to stay abstinent and to practice my spiritual practice on a daily basis. And if I did that, it was an accomplishment and, and get my ass to work, which I did. Um, but it was a horribly debilitating time for me. And um, you know, and through, through the whole time I've been in program, I've lost you know I've had friends drive, um, lost jobs, all those things that normal people go through. But having the tools of this program to, to work with in that context made an amazing difference, and those things for me did not seem out of my control. And I know a lot of people in the Bay Area do know a lot about my story, but there's some parts of it that I like to tell because um, to me they are the miracles in my life right now. And one of them was when I got abstinent and I had done my quote-unquote work in program and therapy and all of those things, I really wanted to be married. I thought that it was my um, time. You know, I was ready. I'd done my work. I thought I, you know, 32, and it just wasn't happening for me, and I did it all. You know, I did the Match.com, the single, um, you know, Sierra Singles, uh, you name it. I, I did it, and it was um, and it was hard, and a lot of times it was demoralizing, and it was frustrating, and um, I pretty much came to peace by my 40th birthday that it wasn't going to happen for me, and I wasn't going to have children, and by my 40th birthday, I had this huge bash, and it was fine with me, and that was great because at that time, I owned my own place in San Francisco, which is a pretty big deal, but the way I had to do it was to buy it with another person. It's called a tenancy in common where you you buy a property together and you're on the same loan and it can be a pretty scary thing because you may do it with someone you don't know and I didn't know this, these people that our realtor picked us up and there was this um, lovely gay couple and about three months after we moved into our house, which was two flats, they broke up and they decided they wanted out of the situation. And Again, this is like the height of my depression. I couldn't see my way out of this. I was convinced I was going to be bankrupt, homeless, you name it. And, um, and because they were in a nasty space with one another, the mojo in our house was bad news. And it was, you know, it was rubbing off on me. And I was starting to act that way because I was, so, I was getting into that fear mode. And I remember sitting at my desk one day, and it just um, sort of came upon me that I was going to be Okay. And it was it was a matter, it was an ability to let go that I could never have forced, that I could never have created, but it just came. And that's, of course, the thing that happens with being able to surrender is, you know, it just comes when it's time if I do the footwork. And so I remember one day just knowing this and knowing that I wasn't going to, you know, go head-to-head with them on things because it wasn't going to get me anywhere, and I was just going to, you know, keep my side of the street clean, so I did. And um, so, shortly after that, the person who ended up buying their share of the house was this wonderful woman who was about my age. So we had the same sort of goals and love of the house, and it was a great fit. And um, as it turns out, I met her brother, and um, a year and a half later, we got married. And so, you know, it just comes like in the, the oddest way. So at age forty-one, I got married for the first time. He was thirty-nine. He got married for the first time, and. Um, for me, again, it was like oh, this man is the the dream of my life, and um, it just makes me you know it just makes me want to cry to think how 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 much that was worth waiting for, and how nothing I could have done would have made it happen faster or differently, or even if we had met uh, ten years ago, it might not have worked. I mean, because we're so totally different people now than we were then, and it has just. Oh, been one of those fabulous things in my life. Um, so all the waiting, wanting, forcing, pushing—we never wouldn't have, you know, done a thing in this situation. But it just came in that time and with sanity, you know, with, with sanity. I I still feel like you know I have the ability to incorporate insanity in my life really quickly. Um, I experienced that in the last couple of years turning um, 45 this year I've struggled the last couple of years to maintain my weight and I actually somewhere in the period of um, before I got married and and now I had gained about 15 pounds and I mean I was so obsessed with it for about a year and then finally um, and I mean obsessed like I couldn't get through a day without feeling so badly about myself and my body and um, finally um, a few months ago, something changed for me in terms of actually medication I was taking, and 10 pounds came off, like, really quickly. So all the self-flagellation I was doing over, you know, me not practicing my program, et cetera, et cetera, had very little to do with that, and it was, it was more medically related in this case. And it also gave me a taste of what I know women my age start to experience, which is that as you start to go through perimenopause and menopause, our bodies, kind of wig out, and it's really hard to be where we were, you know, when we were 30. So um, that was a very, very good uh, reminder of what I need to do to to practice my program and, and, you know, keep a fit spiritual connection. Um, But the gifts are amazing. I just went back east. Well, I went back east for a week in June to my niece's graduation, and my parents, Um, who are in their 80s, um, moved off of our farm that I grew up on in western New York after living there for 57 years. They moved into this little house in town, and we were so happy because, you know, schlepping around in western New York in the winter, my father driving in his 80s, it was a very scary thought. And so when I went back in June, um, they hadn't put the farm on the market yet because my mom was gradually emptying out things that she wanted, blah, 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 blah. So... You know, they told us they were almost ready to, to do this, uh, to put the market on the farm. So we go back, and my sisters and I see that the house is
2: packed
3: with their stuff, completely every room packed. And we knew that, you know, my parents, in their current age and health condition, we're not going to be able to make it through this. So we had to plan, um, to, and we figured it out before we even told them, that we'd all come back, all the, the sisters would come back, and help them um, – throw things out, move things, um, had a yard sale, whatever it took to get their house cleaned out. And um, so we all went back for five days. And I know that this situation many years ago would have just made me insane because my mother wanted to save every one of the 50,000 plastic bags that she's been keeping in storage for the last 57 years. And we had I had just this incredible compassion and empathy for her going through this process that was so huge for her after fifty seven years and helping her um and making her feel like you know we're not trying to push you or beat you up to get this done, but we have Patience and we'll help you and we do have to help you draw some boundaries too or my father's going to move out of the house and uh, So it, it was a wonderful experience not only a great time for sister time and um, Finding things that I haven't seen since I was eight years old and um, you know Having those, some of those things sent back here, but to be able to have that kind of relationship with my mother and that love and compassion and sanity around the whole event It's something that at one time never would have happened, that I probably wouldn't have even put myself in the situation because I know my mother would have made me crazy and I couldn't have coped with it. So it's just um, these miracles get, you know, uh, exposed to me all the time. It's always something new. It's always something amazing. And I look back and go, God, thank God for OA. I mean, it's just so amazing the different gifts that we get from this program. And so I think that's pretty much where I um, want to end. Uh, I just want to say one thing, that one of the things that keeps me really in tune to this whole idea of sanity versus insanity is page 449 of the big book. And that's the old big book. I don't know if it's the same in the new big book. I don't know. But it's about acceptance. So I'd just like to read that and end with that. Acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I'm disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me, and I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it's supposed to be at that moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing, happens in God's world by mistake. Until I could accept my alcoholism or compulsory reading, in my case, I could not stay sober. Sober. Unless I accept life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as what needs to be changed in me and my attitudes. Shakespeare said all the world's a stage, all the men and women, merely players. He forgot to mention that I was the chief critic. I was always able to see the flaw in every person and every situation, and I was always glad to point it out because I knew you wanted perfection just as I did. OA and acceptance have taught me that there is a bit of good in the worst of us and a bit of bad in the best of us. That we are all children of God and we each have a right to be here. When I complain about me or about you, I'm complaining about God's handiwork. I'm saying I know better than God. And I know that's not true. So, thank you so much for being in these rooms and for helping my recovery. And like Denise, I hope to see you at these conventions for many, many years to come. Thank
2: you. Thank you, Betsy. And now please welcome Lewis.
4: Trying to get some stuff out of the bag. My name is Lewis. I'm a compulsive overeater and an addict. Hi, Hi. Lewis. Um, like they were. Welcome everybody here, it's great Dean in Sacramento. Um, just to qualify, I've been in program, uh, my first meeting was October 6, 1999, so it'll be five years pretty soon. I've been absent since November 18th of 1999. As near as I can figure, when I came into program at that time, I weighed about 470 pounds, and, uh, right now I weigh around 230 pounds. Um, I have a couple pictures cracking around, make sure I get them back. Um, probably even more graphic than uh, pictures. I, I keep these pants. These are the pants I wore at my first meeting. These are size sixty eight pants, They're uh, the stretchies, and I filled them completely. Um, and today I'm wearing size thirty six. So for me that that's the real miracle of this program. I don't know if I came for vanity. Um, I came because I knew if I didn't do something pretty soon, I was going to die. I was completely insane with food. Um, I mean, if you know you're going to die and you can't stop eating, I don't know if there's a bigger definition of insanity. Uh, Basically, I was killing myself with food. I was also um, up to about, I don't know, a year before I came, I was also a hardcore speed addict. I'd been speed pretty much every day for the 12 years before that. So... The idea of a 400-pound speed addict, um, <laughs> you know. Uh, so um, I went to my first meeting that night. You know how I got that way. I don't think it's real important. Uh, I I was an addict. I don't know whether I was born that way. or something happened. Uh, but whatever it was, uh, I'm I'm definitely an addict. Um. I went to my first meeting that night, and um, there were a lot of things I heard that uh, really helped me. I heard about people that lost a lot of weight and kept it off. I heard people talking about sanity around food. And when I talk about being insane around food, it wasn't just that I couldn't stop eating. Um, I just felt like I was in a, in a total war with food all the time. Um, if I wasn't eating, I was thinking about eating. What I was going to eat next? I was thinking about not eating. I was thinking about how bad I felt after eating, and so my whole life revolved around food it you know it didn't matter if I was eating at the time or not it my life was just centered around food and I heard people talking about being relieved of that. I also heard a bunch of stuff i didn't like uh stuff that uh made me insane too stuff about God and spirituality and um as I like to say, I was, uh, I, I was a firm believer in Marx at the time, and uh, what he said about religion being the opiate of the masses, and since I was an, also a drug addict and much more interested in the opium, uh, I didn't want too much to do with God. Um, the thing that happened after that meeting that may have saved my life, well, I think there's two things. First of all, if, if I was 469 pounds when I walked in that meeting and I heard all this stuff about God, I may have walked out. But I was completely hopeless. I had nowhere else to go. My choices were to stay in that meeting or to die. And um, after that meeting, um, two people came up to me, and um, it was kind of the reverse scenario. I was the big 400-pound hairy guy, and
1: (laughs) this small
4: little woman came up and asked if she could give me a hug. (laughs) And, um, you know, that person and, and one other person that night asked if they could give me a hug. They may have saved my life because I was so isolated at that point. I had no grip on reality at all. Um, I started therapy about a year before that, and sometimes I'd skip the therapy appointment because I was too depressed. And when I did that, sometimes the only person I would see for a couple of weeks would be the pizza pizza delivery guy and the Chinese food delivery guy. I wouldn't leave the house. I wouldn't shower. I wouldn't do anything except go to the door to get the food I'd ordered. Now, The pizza guy and the Chinese food guy, they don't give out too many hugs.
1: Um,
4: But that night, those two people reaching out to me. So, you know, if you're new in this program, um, there's so much love and acceptance and strength and courage here that um, I I believe if people stay, they can catch this recovery. Um, It's just going to happen. It's like a virus. Uh, It's going to happen sometimes whether you want it or not. I certainly didn't come for the things I've received. if you would have asked me five years ago if I wanted the life I have today, I would have responded with a strong hell no, I couldn't even imagine the life I have today. Um, you know when i when I lost the weight and I lost it pretty fast in about nineteen or twenty months um, it uh, i I was totally unprepared to go back out in the world i tried I tried doing jobs and things like that, and I couldn't. And what I found out was that um, besides being a food addict and drug addict, I'm a fear addict. And I, I have a quote. This little book is uh, The Best of Bill. Uh, some writings he did on fear, love, uh, faith, and stuff like that. And and he quotes, um, kind of paraphrases uh, Carl Jung on the idea of fear. Um, he says, Young uh, said that... Um, any person who has reached 40 years of age and still has no means of comprehending who he is, where he is, or where he is going next, cannot avoid becoming neurotic to some degree or another. Uh, this is true whether it's a useful drives for sex, material security, place society, have been satisfied or not satisfied. And he goes on to say, when the benign doctor said, becoming neurotic, he might as well just have said, become fear-ridden. And for me, that's what I was. I, I still am. I am a fear-ridden person. Um, when um, the third step prayer, we talk about relieving, asking God to relieve us of the bondage of self. That's what I'm asking for. I'm asked to be in of my fear. That's what my self-bondage is, is a place of incredible fear. In that place of fear, I, became, I become frozen. I become detached. I become isolated. I become unable to help myself. I become destructive to myself. And um, this program and these steps, the steps of this program, have given me a way to have a life that, you know, now I can say is beyond my wildest dreams. So the first thing that happened was uh, losing all the weight, I started having all these miracles in my life. Uh, things like um, falling down and being able to get up. You know, people don't think that's a miracle. When you're 470 pounds, um, I fell down in my apartment a couple of months before I came to program, and I smashed a chair trying to get up, leaning on it trying to get up. So I was out doing this little job for the census, and I tripped on the sidewalk. a crack in the sidewalk, and I fell down, and I bounced right back up, and it was like, oh, my God, that's so much fun, I want to do it again.
1: <laughs>
4: because, you know, to fall down and be able to get up, it, it was exciting. Uh, things that I stopped doing that, that were important to me, like going to baseball games and and uh, going to concerts, I could do again. And it was just like, you know, I'd get in my seat and be so grateful. Thank you, O.A., because instead of 25% of me being on this person and 25% of me being on this person and being in pain, I could sit and enjoy, actually enjoy the concert or the ball game. Plus, I saw a lot more of the game because I wasn't up at the food counter the whole time. So... My life got better that way, but I became real frozen around trying to get meaningful work. I became real frozen around, uh, especially around the idea of having any kind of intimate relationships. And uh, the first thing that happened was around work. I, uh, I was telling my sponsor that I had all these applications that I had great skills for, but I couldn't even fill them out because I was so fearful around this period in my life that I just kind of disappeared off the face of the earth, that I gained all this weight, hadn't done anything, I was afraid I'd lost my skills, I was afraid people were going to ask me what happened to you, I didn't want to explain that I was an addict, that I'd been 470 pounds, and just all these kind of scenarios, you know, in my fear-addled mind would would come up. And what happened, uh, I started telling my sponsor about this, and I said, he said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know, I guess I just have to kind of do the Nike thing, just do it. And he got in my face and struck his finger in my chest and started talking about what I needed to do with my fourth step. Um, I needed to learn who I was and what I was and what I was afraid of. And the only way to do that for me is through the 12 steps of this program. I have a friend of mine who's a big jump thumper. And he holds up this book. And um, I never get tired telling this story. People that, that are here that have heard me speak. Oh, you're going to tell the big book story. Well, he gets up and he, tell, he tells people, you know, if you had people that had AIDS or had cancer, and you told them to do everything in the first 164 pages of this book and they would be cured, people would be lined up for miles. They'd buy the book, they'd take it home, they'd read it, and they'd do exactly what it says because they want to be cured. We're addicts. We have to pray for the willingness to, to you know, time and time again, people have shown us that this works. And we have to pray for the willingness to do it. And for me, a lot of that reason is because of fear. The things to do in this book are hard. You know, to get rid of that bondage of self is hard. It requires facing myself and facing things I don't like that I have to deal with, character defects I don't like. So this book has a solution on how to do it. And it's the 12 steps of this program. Um, I did my fourth step. And I did my fifth step, and I don't see how people hold on to their fourth step. I did my, their, you know, and not do their fifth step. I did my fourth step. I finished at 3.30 in the morning, at 8.30 in the morning, I was pounding on my sponsor store. Because what I found out was when I looked at myself, I was not the person I thought I was. There's a part in this book where it talks about, you know, uh, we judge ourselves by our intentions. The world judges us by our actions. And... I found out, although my intentions and my thoughts were one thing, when I looked at actually the people I had hurt and the things I had done, I was not the person I thought I was. And I was very, um, I was decimated, basically, because I thought I was a certain type of person and when I did this program. And, and this book talks about if we hold on to that, we're going to start, and this, he talks about drinking, I'm going to start eating and using again, and I'm going to be a dead person. And and I knew that. So I had to give it away. And it was amazing talking to my sponsor. You know, his response was, oh, yeah, I did that. Oh, yeah, I did that. And I found that really I wasn't that much different than any other addict in this room. You know, maybe the stories and the people were a little bit different. But most of us are driven here by the pain of our lives because nobody comes here for fun. You know, it's not like going to uh, the movies or something else where it's a choice. We're driven here by pain and fear and hopelessness. And unless I was willing to face those things, those fears and that pain, I had no chance of dealing with it. So I started working the steps around this stuff. And all of a sudden, I could put in job applications. And, you know, I would go into these job applications, and I would go into these job interviews. And people in this program helped me prepare for those interviews. They would sit me down. We'd go through all the questions. So every possible scenario was taken care of, and I felt good going in there. That doesn't mean I wasn't fearful. Boy, I had to pray my ass off. You know, I I would say, you know, before some job interviews for a solid hour, I would be saying the third step prayer and serenity prayer. And that would get me to the point of the interview, and afterwards I would walk out. And I didn't know whether I got the job, but I know I've shown up and done my very best, and I could feel good about that. So things started to open up. I got some jobs. At first it wasn't enough work. Now I have way too much work. You know, um, it's like most of the problems I have today are things I used to pray for. Um, <laughs> I, I was uh, incredibly isolated. I talked about that. Um, I had been alone uh, out of any kind of a emotional or physical relationship for 20 years um, before last year. And I didn't think it was ever going to happen for me. I would resigned myself to that. And a lot of that had to do with fear. But what happened was I got to the point where I got tired of looking back. And my program was based on fear. It was still based on fear. I was tired of looking back at the person I was and afraid of going back there. I wasn't willing to look forward to the person I could be. And, again, I had to turn to the steps. Step six and seven, and my, my sponsor had me start writing these ten steps. So whenever I started dealing with a fear or an emotion that I couldn't comprehend or that made me run or that made me shut down, I had to write about it. And uh, the format is a, it's a simple format. I open with a third-step prayer. I start talking about or uh, writing about what I'm afraid of, uh, the character defects involved in that, and I close in the, in the, uh, with a seven-step prayer. And then I go on to a list of gratitudes. And all of a sudden, things shifted. And um, today I've been in a relationship for about 10 months, and I I never would have guessed that that would happen. And it's the most incredible gift. Um, But like my sponsor tells me, we're problem people, and and I'm a problem person. And my job is a problem. This relationship is a problem. Um, Everything that I have good in my life, everything I have bad in my life is a problem. And unless I'm willing to work over it, it's going to continue to be a problem. Uh, Bill Wilson said it again in the big book. They talk about um, he says faith without works was dead, and how impolitely true for the alcoholic or the addict. For if alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self sacrifice for others, he could not survive a certain trials and low spots ahead, or for me even high spots. If he did not work, he would surely drink or eat or use again. And if he drank, he would surely die. Then faith would be dead indeed. With us, it is just like that. And that's the way it is with me. If I don't work this program around my problems and the good things in my life, I turn it into a total raving lunatic in about half a second. Everything can go be going along fine. I, uh, I Last year, I started working on my dream job. And... Um, you know, I, opportunity after opportunity is coming up. And I have to work this program around those opportunities because some of those things I haven't done before, and they're challenging. And I get afraid of doing it. I'm afraid I won't be able to do it good enough. I'm afraid I'm not good enough for this job, that I don't have the skills, that I can't do it. And I get afraid to show up. And unless I work my program and start writing on these 10 steps, unless I start writing and asking help from my higher power, uh, I'm hopeless before those fears, and I can't move. And once again, I've become this insane person, and pretty soon the only place left for me to go is back to the person I was when I first walked into these rooms. And I can't go back there because I know I'll die, and I don't want to die. I have too much to live for now. Um, before I came into these rooms, the most intimate relationships I've had over the past 20 years was, was, was the machines I worked on. And so they did exactly what I wanted them to do. You know, or I could take them apart and fix them. I can't do that with this person I'm in a relationship with. You know, um, she doesn't do anything I want to do.
1: Um,
4: I can't take her apart and fix her. Um, I can't even take my part myself apart and fix myself. You know, so I have to use these twelve steps to figure out how to live in that relationship. Um, yesterday I had a pretty unsettling experience. I, I cracked a tooth this week. And um, it's been like 20 years since I went to a dentist. It's a big part of my disease was, was fear around that kind of stuff. Uh, plus, I was always eating and using. So who had money to go to a dentist? I mean, I had benefits, dental benefits the last three years, and I was still afraid to go to a dentist because what I was afraid of, the dentist was going to look in my mouth, throw up his hands and say it's hopeless. And uh, I talked to my sponsor about it and he says, no, he's going to look in it. In your mouth, he's going to throw up his hands, and he says, "My kids are going to college."
1: <laughs>
4: that wasn't exactly the most reassuring thing he said, but so I went in there, and um you know it was like serenity prayer after serenity prayer sitting there, and it was nice. they had ESPN up on the the television and stuff and and he looked at my mouth, and um it was not good. And my response was to go into that place of self-bondage. As I sat there, I beat myself up for the last 20 years. I became fearful. You know, just every, the worst possible scenario on everything came to my mind. And um, the, the person I'm in a relationship with had, had gone with me, uh, you know, to support me. And, and I came out of that room and she looked in my face and, you know, it was not good. So my response was to go to a meeting. And I heard, um, when I went to that meeting, I heard a woman talk about being raped, and after that rape, sitting in a police car, being grateful that she hadn't been hurt, that, you know, that the person had been caught, that um, just having gratitude for surviving something like that. And all of a sudden, my insanity turned around. And gratitude to me is such an important part of keeping sane. Because I have so much that I've been given in this life by the people in this program, by my higher power, that for me to become despondent, to become fearful over the fact that I'm going to have to have some serious dental work. You know, I look at the fact that right now, because of this program and the way my life is, I can afford it. I have dental insurance, you know, and I have people that are going to help me through this. So I have a lot of gifts to be grateful for. And when I think about that, as opposed to the addict part of my mind that goes to the fear place, which is always imagines the worst possible, actually it imagines things that are worse than worse, that aren't even possible most of the time, then that makes me insane. And so this program is the only chance I have for sanity. Faith in my higher power, asking my higher power for help, asking the people in these rooms for help is the only chance I have to stay sane, stay present in my life, and to show up for the things I need to do. Thanks.
2: Thank you all so much. Uh, let's give a big thank you to Louis, Jermaine, <laughs> and Jackie. Okay. The meeting is now open for three-minute pitches. Please limit your sharing to three minutes and confine your share to your experience, strength, and hope on the topic discussed today. Also, participants must sign the tape release form. Please sign up before your pitch. And we will end this session at 11.15. Uh, okay, who would like to be first, please line up over here and the final sheet's right here. Just sign up and you have three minutes. Okay.
5: <laughs> Hi, my name is Nancy, and I am a compulsive overeater. Hi, Nancy. Uh, I came into this program about six years ago. Uh, the first couple of years of the program, I dropped over 100 pounds. I'm a five-foot woman, if you can see me. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
5: and um, it was pretty easy at that time because I... Uh, for whatever reason, I was in such pain and, 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 and misery, and I was afraid of dying. I was about uh, 54 years old. Both my parents had died at 63, and I thought, well, you know, you know how, how how we think, and I just thought, well, you know, I'm not going to live much longer, but I had grandchildren. So for whatever reason, luckily, I got into these rooms and uh, lost my a lot of weight. I, uh, I didn't have a goal weight because I didn't know what I was going to weigh, but I lost over 100 pounds, and then, um, for whatever reason, I uh, went into relapse, and I was also in denial. And for the next couple of years, I had a hard time um, having periods of, of abstinence. I didn't, wasn't eating uh, off my food plan the whole two, two-and-a-half years. But there were times where I was abstinent two, three months at a time and, and then not eating. Or, or I would have long lapses between being on my food plan and eating one substance, which for me is, is sugar and, and uh, carbohydrates. And uh, so I would eat and then maybe not eat that substance again for another three, four months. But whatever the reason, I uh, was in relapse for about two and a half years and put on about um, – I never did step on the scale until recently. Put on about 35 pounds of the uh, over 100 pounds I had lost. And um, so when I talk about when I the subject was vanity and then uh, coming for the vanity and stay, uh, sorry yes coming for the vanity and staying for the sanity, um, I was very vain as when I had lost my weight. I was very grateful. I mean, but I had been I was in the body of 115 pounds that I had never been since I was a teenager because I had been overweight all my life. So, I was very excited about the body that I had been given and ways in which I was living my life for those couple of years of losing the weight. And when when I uh, started to put some weight back on, I was completely insane. I was trying to hide it. I was certainly in denial. And I was not able to face the fact until I was asked to do some service and recognize that, no, I cannot do service, I'm in, in relapse. And I would come to meetings. I mean, I was still doing, you know, four or five meetings a week, working my program to the best of my ability, not being able to tell complete truth to sponsors, uh, being unwilling to work. So um, I did come for the vanity to come back, and now I am. I have been absent now for over six months, and I am saying again, thanks.
6: Hi I'm Donald. Hi, I'm Don with the Folk Reader. Um, I walked back into the room Zuber Readers. Um, was, um, two and a half years ago and I was fat and lonely and depressed and angry and fat and in a bad relationship that I was with somebody who I didn't want to be with and I was fat and um obsessed and fat and really angry and you know uh so i had you know I'd done o a like fourteen years ago and lost my weight and had a few you know like six months of good recovery and worked the steps and had a sponsor and you know did the whole thing and then I was in and out for like three or four years and then went out and had ten years worth of relapse and you know gained i gained a lot of weight um so I came back and I knew. You know, right from the start that I needed to get a food plan, I needed to get a sponsor, I needed to do these things. But I did it because I wanted to lose the weight. Um, And, you know, it's hard to, it's, it's sort of like the same way that I had a spiritual awakening that I wasn't really cognizant of. I kind of feel like I had a sanity awakening that I wasn't really cognizant of. I mean, I had little, I I do a 10-step every day. And so I had little, you know, minor epiphanies here and there. You know, oh, my brain is wired that food equals love. Yeah, that's true. You know, but that isn't the kind of thing that's going to drive you to sanity. And it's been, you know, two and a half years of those little epiphanies adding up that has led me back into some sort of sane, you know, kind of life that, I can you know go in the world now and be around people and have relationships and you know i i'm I'm in a relationship today with somebody who I really like and you know it's it's I have riches beyond my wildest dreams um and it's 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 the it's the you know it's the good stuff of this program and um yeah i want to pitch for that and you know I go in the world and you know people um Oh wow, you've lost an awful lot of weight, and I, I guess I'm a little embarrassed about it at times. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, I've dropped a couple, and you know, <laughs> so yeah, okay. It, it's you know, I, I came here because I wanted to lose weight, and I got something. I got a life, and um, yeah, it's 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 good. So thanks.
7: Hi, I'm Wendy, a compulsive overeater. Hello, Wendy. Um, I'm in my first five months in the program, and first of all, I wanted to say, I didn't want to come to this particular uh, workshop or whatever we have here. I had another one in mind, which was something about meal plan versus abstinence or something, and I wanted to go to that one because... Uh, I'm, I'm like so obsessed around what I'm eating, how I'm eating, and how great I'm doing, because I've been abstinent, uh, almost since I came in. Well, God had other plans. Uh, my husband was made a monitor here, so he wanted me to come to this meeting with him. Uh, so I started out like, no, I, I don't want to be here but then it was like i heard everything i needed to hear um and i think this thing about vanity um i i was a size 16 when i came in now i'm a size 10 or 12 and it's like wow that's what's called normal and it's it's a revelation to think my my body's normal but the rest of me is not normal. I'm not a normal eater. And it's only with the gift of abstinence that um I can eat like a normal person. Cuz without God's grace, I'm um out and running. Uh so I'm I'm just wanted to share that that um it's not about size for me, it's about uh what is God showing me every day? Uh and something something about the reading in in the uh OA book, the um Fourth Day book. There was a, a quote there from Abraham Lincoln and he was all bummed out. It's like,
1: Oh my god,
7: you know. And then the and then the little saying after it was, Well, even the Abraham Lincoln can be bummed out at times. Think of all that he accomplished and it's no big deal to be bummed out. You know, we have ups and downs. Uh, so, anyway, I'm, I'm grateful to be here. Thanks for letting me share.
8: Am Daffy, compulsive reader. Hi. Um, thank you all of you so much for for your shares. I got so much out of it, and for everyone else that has shared. Um, this is my first Region 2 convention. I've been in the program um, almost 25 months, and I've been abstinent the whole time. I am one who has so far, thank you God. I've been struck absent from the beginning, and and I'm very, very grateful for that. I'm down um, 97 pounds from my top weight. And and the issue of of vanity and sanity is is very, very, um, you know, prominent in my mind because I have spent so many years of my life obese and feeling so unacceptable in this body of mine, and for the last year I have been a normal size and that is such a remarkable experience that that I'm so grateful for and you know not even for the vanity pop but that now I can walk you know walk into a room and not feel like I have to hide myself as I'm walking you know it's a different it's a different way of living life it's a way of living life and so I am so grateful to be a normal size and to have a body that feels like I can—that's a part of me. I, you know, so it's very—it is kind of confusing for me to sort of sort all this out because I listen to people who have many more years in this program than I, who talk about the first few years and yeah, I was doing great and then I had a relapse and I—I I thought I, you know, I got full of myself and there are times when I do get full of myself, um, or that I focus more on the physical but there is such you know there is such a a miraculous feeling i I really feel that that having that i feel it sort of at one with my physical body for the first time i mean i'm going to be 54 next month uh you know i spent 30 years being so disconnected from my body that i mean and this is the body god gave me so it, it has to be right that i should have a have my normal sized body and that that's okay and, and that's where I am right now um, but, I, but I know I have to listen to people who have more years and more experience who will teach me hopefully what I need to do so that I don't relapse and I listen very hard to that thank you very much
9: Hi, my name is Ariel, and I am a compulsive overeater. Uh, thank you guys. I really enjoyed uh, the workshop. I've been in OA for three years, and this past July 20th was my first year of abstinence. So I was really happy. Um, abstinence did not come anywhere near me for the first
1: two years.
9: It was I was very just waiting. And uh, I thought, like, the absent spirit would come, you know, knock me on the head, and it'd be fine. And then I realized it didn't happen that way. And since soon I realized it was about surrender and that I was going here for the wrong things. Uh, vanity is huge in my family and my friends. It was so about who you look most like in movie stars. I mean, that's, that's who you describe. Well, you, well, if they were in a movie, who would they be? And I thought, you know... I was Chewbacca from Star Wars. I mean, it just was not working for me. And then um, slowly, I have I have two children, and I have a very large family, and I am a better parent. I'm a better kid. I'm a better friend. I'm a better coworker, a better student because of OA. Maybe I look better, but I feel better. And it hit me um, during this first year of abstinence, a lot of things changed. And my, first, my physical persona matched my inward persona, and that was a big deal for me. I I only felt in sync with who I present to you is who I am, and for so long it wasn't. For so long, I only felt comfortable, It's kind of backwards from what I've heard. My whole life, I'd look in the mirror and I'd hate it. But I'd feel comfortable with other people. I'd feel comfortable in big groups because the persona who I made up was who I thought you saw, and so... I would look in the mirror at home and just feel disgusted and then go out in public and detach. This past year, it's been the opposite. I look in the mirror, and I will think, ah, I think, okay. But then I go out, and it kind of hits me, okay, I'm still bigger than everybody else. Okay, I'm still not normal size, even for being six foot. So the change from liking me on the inside and then liking who I present to you is more significant than the actual curves.
10: I'm Sue, and I'm a compulsive reader. And what, why I felt led to come up here is because vanity just about kept me from coming back to program. You know? Um, Denise was one of the first speakers I ever heard back in 91 um, in Lomita. And so I always get thrilled to see people I know. <laughs> um, but... Uh, you know, I came in in 91, and between 94 and 99, I lost and maintained a 100-pound weight loss. And then I got pregnant, and I had two children back-to-back because I met my husband in a way, you know, and uh, then we both relapsed. And, um, and I, had, I had two beautiful children today. So I'll, I'll say that's one good thing out of, that dark, out of that darkness, two beautiful children. But, you know, I gained 130 pounds. And coming back after, and I was pretty well known in my area. A lot of people knew me. I bet, you know, and coming back 130 pounds later was very painful. A lot of people greet you with love, and some don't. Some give you a look like, what the hell happened to you? You know. <laughs> but, you know, i got to be honest with you. I thought I would get 80% of those reactions. And I ended up getting like 90% of Loving reactions. Thank God you're back. Oh, I'm so glad to see you. Hug, hug, hug. You know, 90% of the reactions I've gotten have been love. And I've been back for a year and a half, and I've relapsed a few times in that time. And at this moment, I've got like 65 days. But, you know, I just thought of the other side of vanity that, you know, and when I lost that 100 pounds, I had vanity then, too. Because I used to think I had a really cute butt, and I would look at the mirror, and I'd be like, nice butt.
1: <laughs>
10: and and I remember trying to assume a humble posture. Because it is not cool to look like you think you're all that. Um, so I would get the humble posture and the, you know, the humility look that I've seen other people do. No, but this time I'm here because I want to live. I don't want to die. I'm diabetic. I've got neuropathy in my feet. My doctor's threatened to put me back on insulin, or, and I, I don't want to be on insulin. So I, I'm just here because I want to live, and I love this convention, and I have bumped into a few people that had not seen me at this weight, and I've also bumped into a lot of people who have, and it's not about me today. I just am glad to be here with recovering people. It's not about, it's not a show. I just want to be here, and I just want to hear good recovery So thank you.
2: Well, thank you again to our wonderful speakers. What a great workshop. And Shirley for timing for us and everyone who participated in pitching today. Um, It is now time to close this session. So we've already thanked our speakers. Please stand where you are, grab hands, and after a moment of silence, Please join me in the serenity prayer.
4: Okay.
2: Grant me the serenity
1: to accept the things I cannot
2: change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference.
1: Coming back, it's working. Thank you. Okay.